seated please. We're thrilled to have all of you here this morning. Thank you again for being with us. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about what are we supposed to do. Now that we have a little bit of an understanding of this glorious ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, what are we supposed to do? I want to start by reading a story that I adapted some years ago. Once upon a time there was a little girl and her favorite thing to do in the whole wide world was draw flowers. Whenever she had the opportunity, she would get all, all of her crayons and some paper, and she would just draw lots and lots of flowers. When she started the kindergarten, she loved her teacher because her teacher would oftentimes give the students in class some paper and a box of crayons and let them draw whatever they wanted to draw. And this little girl, every time, she would just draw flowers, all kinds of flowers with a rainbow of colors. When she started the first grade, she so looked forward to drawing more flowers. The difference this year, though, was her teacher gave her paper that already had the flowers drawn on the page. And the little girl guessed that that was okay because she had lots and lots of crayons to use and she colored the most beautiful flowers in her class. But sometimes her teacher hung the flowers that she had colored on the wall along the hallway leading to the classroom. When she entered the second grade, she still loved to draw flowers. And sure enough, just like her first grade teacher, her new, her new teacher gave her paper that already had pictures of flowers printed on them, and she got to color them any color that she wanted. But much to her surprise, this year, though, there was something new. This time, it was a little different because now she had to learn how to color in the lines. And then she was given safety scissors. And after she colored her flowers so beautifully, she got to learn how to cut out the flowers with her safety scissors. And sometimes it was just more fun to scribble and not stay in the lines and then cut out the flowers. But one day, the teacher surprised all of the kids in class and the teacher decided to just hang all the pictures of these beautifully colored flowers on the bulletin board without cutting out the flowers. The little girl's flowers were the only ones that had been scribbled on because she thought she was going to get to cut them out. The teacher showed all the other kids her scribbled flowers, and she wondered why anyone would color their flowers that way. When it came time to enter the third grade, she couldn't wait to get to school and color even more pictures of flowers. She still believed that there were so many beautiful colors and so many different kinds of flowers to draw. The little girl was a little bit bewildered. One morning when she came into class, because she just couldn't understand why the teacher only gave her pictures of roses along with red and green crayons. But she guessed it was okay. Now she had to color in the lines and make beautiful red roses with green leaves and stems. And they would always cut them out and hang them on the walls, decorating the border of the bulletin boards and chalkboards in the classroom. And she never scribbled on the red rose pictures. 
And then she entered the fourth grade. And for the first time in all of her school years, this little girl had a new kind of teacher. She had an art teacher. And the art teacher was beautiful. And she was so pretty. And she was so excited about teaching the students about art when she came to class. And on the very first day in the class, the art teacher gave all of the students, especially this little girl, gave her her own box of colors with all different kinds of crayons. And she gave her boxes of colored pencils and all different kinds of colored pencils. And she even gave her watercolors with brushes and a little bit of water, water to paint flowers of any color. But now the little girl was confused and very sad because the teacher gave her paper, plain paper. And she just stared and stared and stared at all the color crayons and the colored pencils. She just looked at all the, pe the paper the teacher had given her and to all of her friends in class, and then a tear came into her eye. Because she looked at all of the paper and the crayons. She just couldn't remember how to draw and color flowers. What are we to do with this glorious ministry of reconciliation? There is a world all around us who have been taught over time and they have been guided over time how to live their lives in a way and they don't remember God. And they don't know how to draw the flower. Our God is a compassionate God. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love and faithfulness. He is a God who maintains love to thousands and he forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. And he has called us who with unveiled faces reflect his glory and we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with this ever increasing glory which comes from the Spirit of God. Now, what are we going to do with this ministry? This glorious ministry of reconciliation that calls us to help people learn again how to draw flowers. I suspect I'm not very different than you because I've had more than a few conversations in my life with people who live within almost walking distance of this building, who used to go to church.
I've had more than a few conversations with people who grew up going to church. And then for whatever reason, life kind of got in the way. And from the first step to the second step to the third step to the fourth to the fifth to the third year to the fifth year to the tenth year to the twentieth year, now all of a sudden, they don't remember. Several years ago, when I lived in San Diego, I had the opportunity to visit with a family who lived in Carlsbad. Elderly gentleman and his wife was visiting with them in their home. Their daughter was there. And in the course of the conversation, somewhere, somehow, I don't remember exactly how, but somewhere in the conversation, I found out because of a statement that she had made that she attended David Lipscomb University. Now, for those of you who are visiting and don't know much about the history of the Churches of Christ, there are a handful of universities across the country that are affiliated with our church. One of them is David Lipscomb University. It's in Nashville, Tennessee. And I found out that this gal had graduated from David Lipscomb. And I asked her, I said, well, are, are you and your folks, are you actively participating still in the church? And she's like, no. Mom and dad moved here several years ago and retired and they never found a church home. And I've talked to so many people who live all around us who have lost their connection with God. And then there are a handful of people that I meet who never had a connection with God. I was sitting in a Chinese restaurant one time and this gentleman came up and he was the server and he was trying to take my order and, and I gotta be honest with you, my Mandarin is not very good. I, I don't speak Chinese languages. I don't even know how to order food in the Chinese language. I don't even, I don't even know any words in Chinese. And so I'm trying to order my lunch with him and, and he doesn't speak English very well. As a matter of fact, he didn't speak any English at all. Hardly any. And so somewhere in the course of this conversation, I just asked him, I said, do you know who Jesus is? He's like, oh, I've never, and he could say, he said, no, I've never met him. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes how many of us have met Jesus? Have we, you get back to me on that? How many of us have met Jesus? Last week, we talked about the story of the rich young ruler. And I shared with you a statement last week, in last week's sermon that I want to challenge us with again. Because when Jesus spoke to this rich young ruler, whom he loved, he loved this man. And remember, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the desire of God's heart. So he's speaking to this young man. The young man is asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus rattles off the commandments, some of them, not all of them, but he lists several things. And the man says, well, I've done all of these. And Jesus says, one thing that you lack, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And come and follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. And the young man went away sorrowful. And I can't get that out of my head. I can't get that thought out of my head over the last week or so 
that has been in there. Because I can't help but wonder, as amazing it is, as it is to live here in these United States of America, I wonder if God imposed that restriction upon us for entering into heaven, how many would still be showing up in churches today? And I know we all have to survive. We all have to live. I know that there's a certain level of income that all of us have, and we have responsibilities, and we have a mortgage payment or a rent payment, or at least we got to pay the taxes on the house, even if the house is paid for. Uncle Sam and the county still want their tax money. And it takes a certain amount of money for us to live because we have to eat and somewhere, somehow, somewhere we got to get somewhere. So usually we have a car and that requires insurance and gasoline. There's a whole list of things. But what does it cost us to be his disciple? And can we see those who are all around us who have forgotten God. Some years ago, I was driving, it's another crazy story, but I was driving to Cabo San Lucas from San Diego. It's only a two and a half day drive, but I was driving with my uncle who lives in Michigan and we were talking about faith and we were talking about God. And he made the statement to me that I'll never forget. He said, sometimes I think that religion is just a crutch. Now, I'm very happy to say that that didn't all carry over to his kids. Because on the 31st of March, I get to go see my first cousin be baptized in San Diego. He's 53. And I'm excited to go to San Diego on the 31st of March. What has it cost you to be his disciple? And can you see those who are around us who don't know who he is? So if we grasp this ministry, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, the reality is it needs to move from transformation into proclamation. Because if we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, if we're being turned into him more and more each day, as the years pass and the years go by, if we're becoming more and more like Jesus and we've met him and we've seen him and we've talked with him and we understand the red letters in the book and we live like that, then it becomes a statement of proclamation. But how do you proclaim Jesus to the world? Now there are a handful of us who are bold enough to stand before a group of people and present a sermon. But more than likely, most of us in this room are not comfortable doing what's happening right now. You wouldn't want to trade places with me. You're just not cut out for this. And that's okay, because God hasn't called everyone to be a minister in the sense that you would stand before a church or a group of people and preach a sermon. God hasn't called all of us to stand on the street corners with a sign and say, do you believe in Jesus? Not that any of us have ever done that. But he has called us to love people. 
Paul writes a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning discussing because this comes to the heart and soul of what it means to proclaim Jesus to the world around us. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because if we ever grasp that, if we ever get a hold of what the love of Christ really is and what it really means to us, then it's easy to tell people about Jesus. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever And the church said, Amen. It's all about love. The proclamation of the gospel of Christ is all about us loving someone else. And the real question is, how much do you love anybody else? Uh, sometimes we have to wonder about even how much do we love ourselves. But let's just presume for the sake of this conversation, we love ourselves well enough to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and bathe ourselves and take care of ourselves. How much do we love others? Because if we see what Jesus is all about, if we see love in Christ, then that should call us. It should move us from transformation of being like him into proclamation where we carry the message of the love of Christ to other people. So why did Paul write this? Very simply, for this reason that we may be strengthened through His Spirit. Guys, it's not us. It's not us. I don't have the ability to do much of anything in and of myself. It comes from God and the presence of His Spirit. It's not me. You think I make this stuff up? Do you think I decide to go do all these Friday follies? That's all God. It's all his spirit working. This morning in the adult Bible class, I, I reminded the group there about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that story, yes? There's a man who's in a chariot and he's the big deal from the country of Ethiopia and Philip comes along and, and, and I asked the question, how did Philip get beside the chariot? How did he get there? Well, he went there and he stood beside the chariot. Why? Because the spirit told him to go stand beside the chariot. He didn't tell him to get in. He didn't tell him to say anything. He said, go stand by this chariot. And then what happens? God opened the door. And my question for the class and my question for you is, are you and I willing to go stand by the chariot? Are we willing to go where God is working? Are we willing to go where the Spirit calls us? Are we willing to go where the Spirit is leading us to go and stand there? And wait for God through the work of His Spirit to open the door to whatever comes next. Paul wrote this so that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. Faith comes from what? Hearing the Word of God. 
me say that again. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. It did not say faith comes from reading the Word of God. Do you understand the difference? I will go back to a statement that Ken DeBose made months ago in teaching a class when he was talking about the importance of listening to the Bible, listening to the Word of God. And as a result of his encouragement to me, I downloaded an app on my phone. And you too can download an app on your phone because almost every one of you have a phone that's now smart enough to download apps. And you can get an app that has the Bible on it that can be read to you so you can hear the Word of God. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And I'm going to leave that with you to ponder and to think about, but I'm telling you it's different when you hear it than when you read it. It's different, and it makes a world of difference in how it will impact your life. And I especially encourage you to listen to the red letters as they're read, R-E-A-D, to you, because it will change your world. Paul wrote this so that we could grasp the love of Christ. It's wet, it's width, and it's length, and it's depth, and it's height. It is huge. Guys, the love of Christ is amazingly large. It's God. God is love. We are to be loved. So what does that call us to? What kind of life are we supposed to live if we truly love people in the name of Jesus? What will it cause you to do that you've not been comfortable doing before? What will it allow you to do and open the doors to that you've never been willing to open your life to before? Where will you let God take you because you've learned to love in the name of Jesus? Paul writes this so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Guys, this is what it's all about. It's about not our might. It's not about our power, but it's about his power through the spirit. Jeremiah talks about this. It's not us. It's not us. It's about God working through us by the power of his Holy Spirit to bring about that which he needs to have accomplished in the lives of the people that we're around on a regular daily basis. That is taking this from transformation to proclamation. And that can be done over coffee. It can be done over the, over the uh, internet. It can be done over the fence. It can be done casually meeting someone. It can be done handing something to someone. It can be done in so many ways. But God has called us to proclaim the message of reconciliation because there is a world who have forgotten how to draw flowers. So if God has given you this, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with his love? You see, the days continue to pass. And as the end of life draws closer, and our memories of the beginning fade even dimmer, what will you say? What will you say? Can you say there was one who was willing to die for my sins? Can you say it is well? It is well with my soul. All around you, and I literally mean all around you, there are lonely hearts. We live in the most technologically connected time in history with the loneliest people in history. People are longing. They're longing for another way. 
because technology is not answering it the way that they thought. What will you say? As the sun begins to set on your life, what will you say? You've been blessed with the fullness of knowing God and the wonder of his love. You've been redeemed and justified by his faith and love. And so this afternoon, I encourage you to look around. When you leave here in a few minutes, I want you to leave and I want you to roll the windows down when you get to the traffic light or the stop sign or when you get into the parking lot of the restaurant and I want you to just pause and I want you to listen to the world that is going on all around you because I promise you, you will hear the voice of someone who is calling out and they are screaming for someone and that someone is God. I shared with the class this morning, I was in Oakland, California, Wednesday afternoon. I was sitting in Kentucky Fried Chicken on International Boulevard in Oakland, California. If you've ever been there, you know it's not the nicest neighborhood. And as I am enjoying my chicken fingers and mashed potatoes and gravy, all of a sudden, wham! This guy slammed into the door at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I look and there's a guy on top of him just beating him with his fist. Didn't last long. Three or four punches and the guy got in his car and he was gone. And the young man is standing there dazed at what had happened. And I'm sitting in a Kentucky Fried Chicken that is across the street from a church. And the thought that went through my mind, and I'll share this with you as I shared with them, the thought that went through my mind is, how long has it been since God was on this street? There is a world around you, next door to you, that needs to hear about Jesus. They need to meet Jesus. And you and I have the power to do that. And we do that through simply loving others as God has loved us and sharing our lives with them in a way that will show them that God is love. And so this morning, my question to you very simply is, what will you say? When you're standing by the chariot, because God's Spirit has placed you here. What will you say? When life comes to an end, what will you say? When that person is sitting looking at the blank piece of paper and cannot remember God. What would you say? That is the message. And I encourage you as we go through this week to take it with you and to take the message of love with you so that
you can glorify God in all that you do. We're going to sing a song here that Brandon is coming to lead us. We will glorify him. And this week, I invite you to join in the journey. And I invite you to open your hearts and your eyes and your ears to the moving of God's Spirit around you so that when he calls you to stand by someone's chariot, you will have words to say. And in all of that, bring glory to God, who is truly our Father. Let's stand together and sing this song. If we can help you in any way, come and let us know as we sing. We will glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will.